In recent days, border crossings at the San Ysidro port of entry have fallen again to historic lows. The slowdown is due to a crackdown from Customs and Border Protection, as they are now only allowing essential workers from crossing the border. They say that this is a measure to prevent the spread of COVID-19, but it's unclear what kind of impact reducing this travel would be on our cross-border region. For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. Wendy Fry, you cover the border for the San Diego Union-Tribune, and you observed this uh, sudden change that we saw when it came to the border crossing. Why don't you tell us, what was the decision-making that led to this choice by CBP? Hi, Dan. Yeah. So one thing that they really wanted to emphasize is that it's not really new regulations, but it's new enforcement of the same regulations. So since the coronavirus began, the pandemic began, they have been asking non-essential travelers to stay at home, to stay on one side of the border or another. This past weekend, what they decided to do was start really asking people and asking sort of prying questions to find out whether or not their travel was actually essential or not, and then sending those non-essential travelers to a secondary inspection, which is a long process. It's definitely something you want to avoid if you cross the border every day. Uh, and so it slowed down everything. It's slow. The, the border came to a screeching halt and uh, people were stuck in lines for up to 10 hours. I've even heard longer than 10 hours at this point. Uh, traffic just backed up all the way into central Tijuana. And it was just a, a big, big mess for a lot of people this weekend. And CBP says that their hope was that they would discourage people. People would say, mm, I, I don't think going to Rosarito Beach is worth a 10 hour wait on our way back. And from the, from their perspective, they're saying that that strategy worked uh, in, in the wait times that they've seen in the last couple of days. They said that they are now processing only essential workers. Yeah, so what was the situation like before? Were people just getting kind of loosey-goosey with it and going back to normal? I think it's, I think there's a lot of gray zone. Like, okay, for example, so I'm, I'm a, per, for a personal story, I'm an essential worker, I'm a journalist, I'm working here in TJ. So I've rented a place in TJ so that I don't have to cross every day because the border is six hours on a good day, right? Since the pandemic began. If I need to do something for my daughter's school, is that, you know, is that crossing for my daughter's school, is that, and am I going essentially for work? No, I'm not. But the reason why I'm in TJ in the first place is for work, for an essential job. So I think there's a lot of gray zones like that. I was talking to a business owner um, today who took, he's a, he runs an essential business in TJ. He, and in order to do that, he needs to meet with his accountant every so often, every quarter. So technically, would crossing to go visit your accountant in Chula Vista be an essential trip, according to CBP? No, but otherwise he's not going to be able to run his essential business in Tijuana. So it, there, there's, a, there's a lot of things that are sort of gray zone crossings that maybe not you're not specifically going to your job to clock into work right then, but um, you know, mm. in order to keep your life running and in order to continue doing your essential job, you do have to cross. So, yeah. And what definition of essential workers are they using? Because I imagine this is another situation in which California says one thing, but the federal government says another. 
Right, there's a huge long pages, pages long um, list of who are essential workers according to California versus according to the federal government. They're obviously using the federal government regulations, but there's pretty much, pretty close overlap. I mean, it's health workers, people who serve food, people who keep the food industry running, um, and, and, and anyone who is needed to confront the pandemic are essential workers. Mm-hmm. And when you were out over the weekend and you spoke to people that were dealing with kind of this insane traffic mess in Tijuana, why don't you tell us some of the stories you heard of people living through that? Yeah, I mean, it was it was horrible for a lot of people. Just, I mean, if you can imagine sitting in a car with, for 10 hours with children. I mean, that was the one that was there was actually a woman who who passed away waiting. She had a cardiac uh, medical issue waiting and nobody knew what was going on with her um around her so that was traumatizing for a lot of people um around and that discovered what had happened um and it was hard for to get medical personnel to her uh, there were a lot of people who 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 left like one person stayed in the car and they just left went home came back um and it was just uh, you know it was a surprising the cbp announced that they were doing it on friday but i don't think anybody knew how much it would impact everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it makes sense when you make that kind of announcement, not everyone will get the message immediately. So it's kind of like, if you're paying attention, you might have avoided it. But if you weren't, you were, you know, stuck out of luck. Right. And I don't think people realize how much, um, you know, slowing things down just a little bit. On Friday night, they started slowing things down just a little bit. But that has a ripple effect in terms of how many people we have a fluid border in our region we're supposed to i mean it's designed to be a fluid border in times of of non-pandemic and so it's many people cross back and forth and to slow that down just a little bit it just has a domino ripple effect to to, to the point where sunday it was completely you know grinding halt mm-hmm. And CPB says that this move was to slow the spread of COVID-19. We've talked a lot in this podcast about how things are going here in San Diego. Can you uh, describe the situation in Tijuana and Baja California? Kind of what are the contrasts? So the biggest contrast, I think, is the approach to controlling the pandemic. They are not taking an approach of testing everyone here. The only people that are getting tested are if you show up very ill to a hospital, then you will get tested for the COVID. Um so the numbers are way are, are lower. The numbers are technically lower here, uh, that, but that's also why the the death rate, uh, the, the percentage of people who die from coronavirus, are much higher because the amount of the people that they're testing are already very severely ill when they get the test. Uh, and so numbers are going down. They are starting to see sort of a plateau in in the peak. Uh, across the country of Mexico. And then especially here in Baja California is one of the first states to be impacted. They, Baja California um, started, you know, started the pandemic a few weeks before our other states in the rest of Mexico. So they're coming out of it um, a little bit earlier than other states in Mexico, according to the state health officials. And of course, the big question is if, if they're not testing anybody, how do they really know what's going on? But they're, they're tracking it by the number of people that are coming sick to the hospitals. They say they're definitely seeing a lower number of that. The number of active cases they have, the last time I looked, which I think it was from over the weekend, but the last time I looked, it was about 146, I think, active cases um, in Tijuana that they have, which is compared to at one point they had like more than 600 um, active cases. So they're definitely seeing their number of cases go down 
the economy is starting to to open back up again. The restaurants are opening back up. People are starting to want to go out to the beach again. Beaches are still closed, um, and the, the, they're they are very strongly trying to discourage people from crowding together in any kind of concert or club or anything like that. Um, but people are very eager to to get back out there, get back to seeing friends and stuff like that. You know, get back mm. to their lives. Yeah, and uh, how are things when it comes to you know following the kind of broad rules that everyone's supposed to like social distancing and you know wearing masks uh, how is Tijuana doing on those kind of things so that's pretty interesting that you don't you didn't have to convince anybody to wear masks here everybody just started wearing masks um, as, exactly when the government asks um, you can't enter into even very very early in the pandemic you could not enter into any grocery store or anything without a mask on they're taking everybody's temperature if you go in any place you've got 7-eleven or any place, they're taking your temperature at the door before you enter. Um, so that, and and people are keeping their distance uh, voluntarily. So they haven't really had to enforce. I, I think Tijuana City Council did talk about um, putting a fine into place for people not wearing a mask, but really everybody's been voluntarily doing it. There's not the discussion of like, should we wear masks? Should we not wear masks here? Everybody's just doing it. Mm-hmm. That's some good news. And of but course, yeah, you know, Tijuana is a very um, entrepreneurial city. So so people are coming up with very creative, pretty masks and different designs and stuff. And people are selling them everywhere on the corners. Um, just as, you know, if there's a market, Tijuana is going to find a way to step in and, and fill it because it's very entre- entrepreneurial spirit here. Mm-hmm. And also here in San Diego, um, members of the Hispanic Latina community overwhelmingly are testing positive for the coronavirus. The majority of cases are in Chula Vista and San Ysidro near the border. How much is there proof that a lot of these cases kind of come from Tijuana or, you know, maybe one seated the other? Do we know anything about that relationship? I understand that, you know, this is a complicated epidemiological question and we're dealing with two separate nations, but how intertwined are these outbreaks in Tijuana and South Bay? Right. I, I think that um, that a lot of the health workers that live here and go work in Sharp Chula Vista, Scripps Chula Vista, um, that, that's a way that, that the, the virus is coming back and forth across the border, but not necessarily coming from TJ to San Diego. I hear that quite a bit. And it's worth pointing out that the, the virus came from the north to Tijuana first, you know, the first, their first cases were from two people in Mexicali who had traveled to Washington state where there was a the big outbreak right at the beginning of the pandemic. So so from from people here's perspective, the virus is coming from the north to Tijuana. But it, it definitely I'm sure it has a lot to do with we have families that straddle the border here. You know, we have families that live on both sides that have residents on both sides um, of the border and they see each other and the virus spreads like that. I don't think that it's anybody, you know, I don't think there's any kind of concerted effort of people to, you know, trying to, I guess, I haven't seen a whole lot of effort at addressing it from a perspective of, of who who has lives on both sides of the border and can we kind of contain it in that way? If people who work on one side and live on the other, can we contain it? in that way, but certainly it is spreading that way. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, like the hardest part of this pandemic is that it kind of preys on inequities. And if you're in a situation in which you need to travel from Tijuana to San Diego to do your job, you know, it ups risk. And it's just we're kind of seeing people who have means and the the wealth to have that space, both a literal and financial space to kind of isolate themselves. Those are the people that aren't getting sick. So that's kind of why you're seeing it, you know, play out in this tragic way. Right. And the, the, the jobs... So a lot of people find affordable housing here in TJ because the housing market in San Diego is so high that if you work as a food server or a busboy or a medic in a, in a hospital, that you might not make enough money to pay a rent in San Diego. And so people find afford- affordable housing where they can have a lifestyle here of, you know, that's comfortable at least. And they're not living in substandard housing that they would have to live in in San Diego on their salary and so that that puts them in the position of being further exposed to more greater people, greater exposure to the public, which increases the number of cases among among people who are doing that. Mm, certainly. And uh, going back to what CBP is doing at the border itself, uh, when they clamp down in these ways, do they tend to, you know, do this for a week and then let up? Because obviously it seems that for a while they were following the rules, then they kind of got lax. And now they're like, okay, we're going to follow the rules again. What's kind of your forecast? Uh, How long do you honestly expect CBP to kind of be as stringent as they are being right now? So I think it was sort of creeping up, creeping up, creeping up for a couple weeks. Like you said, like at first, like everyone was like, oh my God, I'm not going to be able to get across the border. What do I do? I'll just stay here. I'll, I'll delay the things that I need to do on the other side of the border. And then, you know, slowly but surely the word stored, sort of started getting out like, oh, no, they're not going to ask you anything. Go ahead and cross. And so the words sort of started getting out and the border weights were creeping up uh, tremendously. Like it was taking six hours on a normal day to get across the border in the ready lane. Uh, so there, th- that's how Border Patrol or CBP, I'm sorry, it's CBP. Um, determined that that a lot of this was non-essential crossings. They did a survey, I think, of 100,000 people, and they found that the vast majority were what they consider non-essential. And, and like I said before, I think there's a lot of gray zone of what's essential and what's not for people who have lives on both sides of the border, right? Like, how long mm-hmm. can you just pause your part of your life that's on the other side of the border? But um so they they determined a vast majority of this was all non-essential and they did the crackdown. And then yesterday we saw the line was basically empty. And I don't think it's going to be too long before people start kind of trying to see how it goes again. And then the word will start getting out. One thing that's really important to note for everyone is that like U.S. citizens, they cannot deny you entrance into the United States. Like you have a right to enter the United States as a US citizen. How long they can they can make that take, you know, they can make it take be very, very inconvenient experience, but they eventually have to let you in. And and so based on that rule, uh, you know, I think people will start trying to see what they if they can go visit their grandmother or, you know, other things that maybe the CBP would not technically consider essential. Yeah, it's always good to remember that CBP has the right to ruin your day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they absolutely can. But they, they can't keep you out of the country permanently, at least mm-hmm. how long it's going to take you. And finally, if I have a question related to any border issues or other stories that you write, what's the best way of getting a hold of you? Um, yeah, you can contact me there on my, my DMs are open there on my, I see my handle there for Twitter 
or email. I have my, all my contact information in my Twitter profile, including my WhatsApp and my Signal. If you want to be anonymous, um, you can really contact me through Signal. All right. And I'll include that information in the show notes as well. Wendy Fry, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the San Diego News Fix. On the latest episode of Name Drop San Diego, hear the UT's Abby Hamblin and Christy Dotton interview Nicole Capretz, founder of the Climate Action Campaign and a key author of the city's Climate Action Plan. Name Drop San Diego is available wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is made possible by subscriptions to the San Diego Union Tribune. As we live through this momentous time in history, the truth and facts matter. If you are not yet a subscriber, please go to uniontrib.com slash subscribe. Until next time.